Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere, and that is definitely the case today. We would like to welcome, for the very first time on our show, Dan Fulmer. He is a Chief Investment Officer of the Galena Fund, an Opportunity Zone-focused real estate developer located in Boise, Idaho, from where he talks to us today. Dan, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. I appreciate it, sir. It's a great opportunity. So, Dan, you are the very first Opportunity Zone-involved person and company that we have um, interviewed on our show, so we'll need to uh, establish a good foundation as we talk. So let's begin with a little background of yours and Galena Fund. Okay, that's great. Galena uh, Fund, the group came together really with a development background. That is our passion. That's what we do is ground up development, find areas that need additional housing and uh so again, that's that's our love. With that as a background, uh, development. Are we talking commercial, industrial, yeah, commercial. residential, multifamily? What what are multi-family. we talking? Multifamily, 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 primarily. Okay. Yep. So we we uh, saw a huge need in the Pacific Northwest and the Intermountain Northwest to um, because of the populations transferring out of certain states coming inland. You don't have to be polite. We know they're coming from <laughs> California, Nan, and we know why, and we don't blame them. Uh, yeah, so they're leaving uh, California, and, and uh, from a number standpoint, the, the county that I live in, this area, is called the Treasure Valley. The Treasure Valley grew about 100,000 people last year, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you start with 700,000 and it increases to 800,000, that puts a lot of a pressure on a, a smaller area. It does. It does. And as I have mentioned to you, I have a, a daughter and her family that live uh, right there in the greater Boise area. And that place is growing like a weed. And, uh, you know, you can see why. It's clear. They're good people. They're family-oriented. Crime is low. Uh, the whole place is new. I mean, it, it, it's a great place. Yeah, no. So we, we, we love it. With with that thought process, we said, well, with this new tax reform coming out and this Opportunity Zone designation, and we'll go deeper into that shortly, I'm sure, maybe there's a way to get more large institutional money into the Northwest. Most Most of it is considered flyover other than you know, all the way to the coast, Seattle, or, or, or Salt Lake might get some large institutional investment. But Boise, uh, Reno, Nevada, Spokane, Washington, uh, Tacoma, Washington, cities like this, people don't think of, or at least large money managers don't think of as great investments. But we're able to show them you'll, you'll make 5 or 6% more on your money investing in those areas than you will investing in the, the great Manhattan or, or, you know, pick a, pick a large city. 
with, with a fraction of the capital required, right? Yes, with a fraction of the capital requirement, and, and in theory, no more risk. It, it is multifamily, and it, with the population booms and the job growth in these areas, I would argue all day till I was blue in the face that there's less risk. So, so Dan, uh, so you guys are in uh, ground-up property development. And so tell us about opportunity zones. I, uh, You know, they're not well known. The, the law was passed a couple of years ago plus. But yeah. uh, as as uh, you are well aware, the uh, final instructions and regulations just came out less than a year ago. And th- those things uh, cannot move rapidly. So tell us what opportunity zones are. Yeah, they passed the, the, op- the opportunity zone rules did not finalize until late December, actually, of this year. They passed the idea of it as part of the tax reform in 17, but the IRS and others putting more of the rebar in it took until, like I said, late December of this year. Because of that, the the speed to market, how fast they were able to market the idea, it kind of put a lot of stall in the opportunity zone. But the basics... Now, going forward, if you invest into an opportunity zone fund, and a fund is defined loosely without boring everybody, as a single asset project, a multi-asset project, or potentially even a business. So if you invest in one of those three things um, and you hold the money into that investment for five years, you're gonna get a discount on your capital gains bill. And your capital gains bill, if you took capital gains this year, that bill is not due until the year 2027, April. Okay, so so, so, so let's go over that a little bit. Somebody has a capital gain of something that they sell this year. And that capital gains tax then is does not need to be paid for is it five years or ten years it doesn't need to be paid actually everybody has a hard rule on or a hard line and it and it's not paid until 2027 it's not paid for 10 years but you have to hold the asset for five years correct the, the asset you, you replay that, that, that you're you're buying okay so somebody sells some real estate now this can include they can sell anything with a capital gain such as a business Correct. right uh, yep a lot of business sales happen and unfortunately because it's still kind of a secret this process a lot of businesses are selling reaping huge benefits but they don't understand that they could put part of their gain from the sale of that business into these opportunity zone investments Okay. But so you can sell real estate, you can sell a business, you can sell stocks and whatever that capital I see. So you so you you can even sell liquid assets like like stocks and bonds kind of thing. Correct. Okay. So you sell them, you create a capital gain and it doesn't have to be paid for 10 years. You have to hold the next asset for 5 years and then at the end of uh, the 10 years you now have to pay the capital gain as of Ten years previous to that. So you put the money in. The hard line for the tax bill is the year 2027. So if you put the money in this year of 2020, tax bill down the road till 2027, and then you get a 10% step up in your basis. So if you invested 
a million dollars, you're really only going to pay a tax bill on 900000 And you pay it at the tax rate of 2027 or at today's rate? Correct. Correct. Well, well which one? 2027 or? 2027. I see. Whatever the tax rate is. So that is a risk, and I understand that's a risk, but the capital gains tax rate hasn't changed in, you know, better than I, 20-plus years, whatever. I can't remember the exact data. But. Yeah. Don't put a curse on us here and say that yeah, it hasn't yeah. changed. I, <laughs> yeah, knock on wood, right? Yeah. Okay, so that so, so that's part risk. one of the tax benefit. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Okay, keep part, going. Part two, on that million dollars that you invested, as long as you invested it in 2020 and you hold the investment until 2030, all gain on that money is tax-free. Okay, so capital gains tax-free. Capital gains tax-free. Correct. Okay. So, so walk us through an example, will you? So an example, uh, and if you were going to do it into a real estate play, if you invested into a, a fund, and I'm going to use a million dollars again as the example just for easy math, I invest today in 2027, like we said, you pay your tax bill on the 900000 but I've got between now and 2030 to have a developer or have somebody run my money through a model of multiple properties and make as much money for me as possible. The tax law allows for me to turn the money, meaning I don't have to keep it in one property for the okay. full 10 years. I could do multiple properties. Okay. And, uh, and, and when you sell it, the, there's no capital gains tax as long as you held it for the required period of time. For the minimum of 10 years. The minimum of 10 you, years. You can hold it longer than that, but you have to hold it for a minimum of 10 years. Otherwise, you would have capital gains to pay on that asset that you purchased with the money that um, you got from the original investment from the year, let's say, 2020. Right, right. Okay. And uh, so I could compare this, if you would, a little bit with a 1031 exchange. Yes, a, a 1031 exchange, in many cases, individuals want to almost say this is a, a, a nemesis or a, the enemy of the 1031. From, from my perspective, I think of it more as an additional play for individuals who have a portfolio of multiple assets. This is a way to rebalance your your multiple real estate portfolio. So 1031 says, I want to sell this property at today's rate, and then I have 180 days to redeploy into another property at today's rate. So I'm selling high, but then I got to turn around and buy high. And yes, you skip the tax issue in the middle of that process, but you're not getting a a larger and larger rate of return you are getting a larger amount of money because you didn't pay tax but you're not you're not you're going from a let's say a 10 percent rate of return on your cash to another 10 percent rate of return an opportunity zone play versus that allows you to sell at today's high rate 
and then turn around and put it into a ground-up development that may generate a 20% rate of return. Okay. And you still get the same tax benefit. Can can you now? This does not have to be a new thing that you're investing your money into, a new business or a new real estate development. You could buy, you know, a group of houses. You you, you could buy an industrial correct. park or something like yep. that that already yep. exists. Correct. 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 Yep. You could buy storage units. The only the only property requirement is whatever you buy it for. You have to put. You subtract out the land value, and then you have to put that equal value of what you bought it for in remodeling the property. So you could find uh, a, a tire building that, like, simple math, is a $10 million building, but the land value is $2 million. So you're net down to an $8 million investment. You just have to put another $8 million and remodel into it. Okay. Now, how about uh, buying a business or let's say buying, uh, you know, a portfolio of, of investments like stocks and bonds? How would that work? You you can't do an opportunity zone to buy individual stocks like ETFs type of thing. Okay. It's not built for that. It is built to go into private businesses. Okay. Uh, so it's a great process for angel investors. It's a great process for uh, people doing that you know, seed assets and, and things of that nature, venture capitalists and, and that type of stuff. Okay. So you can sell those liquid uh, securities, but you can't buy them, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. So talk to us a little about opportunity zones. Um, you know, are they all going to be uh, terrible places that nobody would want to invest in? Uh, or how yeah. does that work here? So that's one of the misrepresentations or one of the misconceptions that's out there that they're all very bad areas or they're uh, places that are overly dilapidated. And, you know, how it started, the tax law passed, and then they went from the federal government passing that and pushed it down to the governors of each state. And the governors said, you know, whoever they pushed it to, their economic development group or, or whoever they've got running, uh, the economic side for each state, push it down to the mayors, and then the mayors decided areas. And the way that process went, would the mayors for each area would come in and, and put in an application process, and, and then the governors or, or whoever they appointed to choose the areas would choose the areas. But if you pull up the Opportunity Zone map, you're going to find areas you know of areas in, in California that you scratch your head and say, why is this an opportunity zone? And I, I don't have a very warm and fuzzy answer why certain places that don't really need the money were selected. Uh, that's part of the process that some of the senators have recently gone through to, to remove a, a few of the zones that they think weren't actually uh, in need of the money. How many but opportunity we, zones are there, Dan? There's over 8,700 across the nation. Okay, so there, there are lots of them here, and and uh, as your website shows, and uh, as we have talked offline, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the areas that I know well, again, uh, in uh, the Boise area, that is not a blighted community. Okay, no, and I know yeah. uh, right down the street from us here, uh, in. Uh, 
And Orange County is a is an opportunity zone, and that's not a blighted area. I, I'm not complaining, yeah. and I'm certainly not criticizing. I'm just describing. So if someone wants to invest, we're not necessarily talking about uh, the ghettos and places that ordinarily they would correct. not feel comfortable investing correct. in, correct? Correct, yes. And one of the main, main drivers, or the, the main driver, was the, the 2010 census, and they went off of what's the uh, income for each area, and they used the income in these tax areas and said, based on this income, this one's low, this one's high, and so they used that to kind of comb through different areas of each city. And so you might have something that's really nice, but it could still have a really low uh, median income for that area. Um, and the reason for it is it, it could just be really nice office buildings and really nice but, uh, um, mall or something of that nature or nice hotels, but it doesn't have a lot of people who work or live there, excuse me, the people who do live there are still poor. And okay. so that, it may have qualified that way. So, so I presume that uh, the expectation of the politicians and those involved in developing this was that probably opportunity zones would start with housing, probably lesser expensive housing. That would only make sense. And then uh-huh. as those people move in, uh, you know, they want to go shopping uh, for clothes and for food, and they want to go to restaurants, and they want to go today to fitness centers. And so those other kinds of businesses will be attracted. And then at yep, the same time. Yeah, at the same time, uh, you know, there needs to be warehouses and storage and places like that. And so probably the initial efforts will be housing on the lower end. Would, would you say that, that that's fairly accurate correct. here of the expectation? Yep. yep. But there's, there's, a, there's a huge shortage of not low-income housing, but what it would be called workforce-style housing. The, the people who have an, a median income for each area that have a, a certain range of income between the 80% and 120% of the area median income is called. Those individuals are getting squeezed harder and harder as inevitably yeah. rents are going up, right? There are, you yeah. see apartments being built and, and things of that nature, but the rents keep going up and food keeps costing more and health insurance costing more and so the idea is how do we get more supply of housing into the nation if we can solve for the shortage we can hopefully slow down the rate of increase in rent yeah and and all that makes sense so speaking of that that's a good segue tell us about galena here okay uh what are you guys trying to do in the in the areas that you're in so we're concentrating in the Pacific and, and uh, Intermountain Northwest states. What we're trying to do and what we're doing is developing in what would be considered a tertiary market. So I'll okay. some cities that people may or may not have heard of. Probably have heard of Boise, but the the, the good golly, the, the city that you're familiar with, Meridian, where your family lives, many have not heard of it. Tacoma, Washington, people would have heard of probably Spokane, Washington. So we're putting housing in these lower populated, if you compare it to L.A. or 
or Manhattan, obviously, and bringing that style of housing that is called workforce-style housing. Our definition, obviously meeting those rental bans that I talked about that people can afford, but not doing the housing that is as fancy. So you're still putting in sinks, obviously, but you're not putting in the highest-end sink, and you're still putting in lighting. You're just not putting in the highest-end lighting. You're okay. still putting in carpet. You, that, that's how you make things more affordable for people. There's also a propensity when you build housing to want to make it the nicest amenity package, the fanciest pool, the fanciest gym, the fanciest everything. And all that does is mean i got to charge you more rent so that you can say that you live in this Taj Mahal. Right. We're not, we're not going to attempt to keep up with that process because it, it doesn't do any good for the people who, when we're trying to keep the rent lower. So okay. yes, it will have amenities, but we're not going to put in three swimming pools in every place and overly sized gyms and, and that type of thing. Okay. In our case, instead, we'll, we'll put in like vertical gardens as an amenity so people can grow food year-round in their own building and, and things of that nature, which is a lot cheaper amenity and actually useful, so they're spending less in groceries. Okay, and then uh, is your plan uh, and, and, and current activity to uh, lease these out, and do you guys manage this? Do you bring in managers? How long do yeah, you expect to hold these investments? Yeah, great question. If people invest in our fund, we'll assume that they're going to hold the money in there for 10 years, but we may sell the property and hope to sell the properties more when it's appropriate to sell. So some of the properties might be sold in the third year, some of them in the fourth year, some of them in the fifth year. And then we just redeploy the capital and develop properties again and turn the money to make people a higher rate of return. If, if I develop a property and sell it in the fourth or fifth year, I might make you 25 to 30% on your money if I hold it for the full 10 years, I might make you 18%. So I'd, I'd rather make you 225 or or 230s than, a, than an 18. Okay, okay. And um, so these properties, are, are they already online? Are, are people living in them? Or, uh, you know, they'll be ready in two years? Uh, somebody invests? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what do you tell them? Yep. Because we're ground-up developers, we have dirt that's, uh, currently walking through the full development process. The cities we develop in, uh, it takes us about 12 months to start going vertical. And that'll blow some people's mind. We don't have the over-regulations of some of the other states. So we'll buy the dirt and go through all the process of meeting with the cities and all the neighborhood meetings and all those processes. And that takes us so many months. And then we'll get into permits and, and start building them then. Usually okay. it takes somewhere between 16 and 24 months for us to finish the project. They start cash flowing in about the uh, third, fourth, or excuse me, second, late second and third year on uh, properties we're doing. Well, I can tell you're not in California because all of those numbers <laughs> would be multiplied by many times here. So yeah. so tell us, change the subject a little bit here. Uh, you guys are in investing. What's the best advice you've ever heard, read, or received about investing here, uh, Dan? Uh, yeah, I would consider myself uh, aggressive 
always with a certain percentage of, of my money. Uh, but I, I really like the approach of portfolio balance. You know, I, I hear a lot of financial planners here locally even telling people as they age they need to get completely out of the stock market, you know, and go 100% into bonds or 100% into annuity. I mean, there's all kinds of different theories that people are selling. Yeah. I, I, I just like a balanced approach. Talk with people who've got $500,000 capital gain. I've got people I've talked to that have $2 million, $10 million. My answer is okay. always the same. Even even if I was the best salesman, you shouldn't put all of that capital gain with us. Sure. Bal- so balance that with another fund or or do something else with it. So tell us, so uh, who do you guys focus on? Advisors or investors or institutions? Uh, well, what kind of uh, uh, investors do you want? The ones that understand the process fastest are the retail that have. You know, a two, three, four hundred thousand dollar capital gain recently, maybe from the sale of a business, a smaller business, or from a a uh, inheritance from a, a family member that's recently passed away and they sold some dirt or or something of that nature. The ones that that take a little longer will be the RIAs, and I think the major obstacle with many of the RIAs is the rule took so long to roll out it got them nervous. And then the second piece is if you have a capital gain that's 100000 for the year or, or a million for the year, whatever the number is, and I advise you to put that with somebody else, I'm, I'm now losing uh, an asset under management fee. So it, it's, it's hard for me to advise you with some of the RIAs. You know, they're losing money by telling you to move some money somewhere else. I see. Very interesting here. Okay, so until the regulators you know, show up. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's that, that's the that's where we're at. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I can't fault them for that. Yeah. So, Dan, uh, we ask every guest, uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? I'm kind of a classic. There's a lot of theories that come and go, so I pass out frequently to people I know. The the richest man in Babylon, an okay. old, old classic. You know, we've had that recommended several times, uh, in the several hundred times we've asked that question. So uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, you're not it's, alone. If you haven't read it, it's an obvious. It's a quick, easy read. It's kind yeah. of a fun read. Put some of your money away every every year, type of thing, and put some money to work. It's, it's a yep. simple, simple process. Okay. And then I, this one's not necessarily relating to investing, but I I love the book Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. By Napoleon Hill. Yeah. yeah that one, no question about it. I read it. that one every year. So for those who'd like to know more, where can they go? Yeah, our, our website is galenafund.com. That you can find contact information there. Uh, you ring through to, to one of our in, investment advisors or myself, and we can walk through and, and get very descriptive about the potential cap gains benefit we could have for an individual. We love to go deep describing people's uh, opportunity. Okay. If you're, if you're thinking about selling a business, Again, whether you do it with us or not, it, this is this has to be part of your planning strategy. So many, Galena spelled G A L E N A. Yes, sir. Okay, very good. So final words for our listeners here, Dan. Yeah, I, I would just say if you're again if you're looking to sell a business, I would I would connect this as part of your thought process. Many people are holding out trying to maximize their return on that one sale versus thinking about what I'm going to do with the money after I've sold it. This is a great opportunity to 
to change your life in the investment space and, and do a lot of good for some smaller markets that get overlooked for investing. Well, that sounds like a win-win here. So, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And congratulations on recognizing opportunity here and moving forward in a brand new area uh, with increased uh uh, opportunity in many ways, and uh, thank you for contributing to these areas, though not blighted. They uh, are areas that need additional incentives from investors to go in there and invest the money. So thank you very much for uh, being with us here today, Dan, and our best wishes uh, to you and to Galena Fund for continued success here. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay, we've been talking with Dan Fulmer, Chief Investment Officer at the Galena Fund out of Boise, Idaho, uh, dealing with Opportunity Zones. And you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and visit our website to listen to all of our podcasts, interviews, and shows, Strategic Investor Radio. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.